time for the War Drums of Makua, the season of battle. Sponsored by South Pacific Health, Savage Music Studios, and Life Extend Unlimited. In the beginning of my podcast, the introduction and the promo, you'll hear Anthony Copping's rendition of the Samoan war chant off the album Last Voices. Mr. Copping is an English-born Australian that was interested in Indigenous people, and his work can be found on National Geographic. He graciously allowed me to use his work in my podcast. Behind me in my episodes, you'll hear one of Polynesia's most prestigious Polynesian drummers, Sifa Pumphrey, who has also graciously allowed me to use his work. I chose these pieces, sought out these artists, because the drums that call the chants, the work that these artists shared moved my soul. I remember as a child listening to the villagers beat the longo drum to announce my cousin, Maliotoa Tanamafili II, King of Samoa. The drums played for my grandfather and my father for ceremony or events as well. I would watch the drummers beat the tatasi or the lali drums with the outta drumsticks. Seems like they could make those sticks disappear with the speed of how they kept rhythm as a group. Because I watched and listened, I always wanted to play the drums, but that was not to be. I was taupo. I was designed and called to sing to my people, to call them to war, to sing to the enemy so they would engage with us in battle. The drums were not for me to play, but for me to follow. The most amazing thing about my people, other than their spirituality and tradition, is their size. There was a reference to Polynesians being some of the largest people on the face of the earth. Again, Kamehameha stood almost seven foot tall. That wasn't an anomaly. Today I have about 22 cousins that play in the NFL because they are huge. Linesmen, most of them. I have cousins with teenage kids that are over six foot five, and girls too, extremely big and strong. One cousin has three boys, six foot six, six foot seven, and six foot eight. The bone structure is very large to carry Polynesian muscle mass as well. Within our genetics, there are some that say that we descended from the Nephilims, the same line that Goliath of the Bible came from, and that's why we have the Lewis anomaly that is only found in Polynesian blood. Nephilims were crossbred humans with another parent that was an angel. They were giants in size and strength and had extraordinary abilities. Others say that the reason why Polynesians are so big is because they have evolved to be that way, because we traveled from island to island on boats. But Vikings had the same type of wayfinder past, and they were small people, tall ones being about 5'7", I'm 5'10". And I'm small in the overall scheme of Polynesian height. Tallest nation in the world is the Netherlands, which the average height is six foot for a man and five foot six for a woman, which as you can see is still smaller than my family. Average height of a woman in the US is five foot six. When I was young, living in Pesinga, Western Samoa, 
My grandparents had a house girl named Lekka. Lekka was only 14 to my 11, but she stood at least a foot and a half taller than me, and I have always been considered tall here in the U.S. I used to tease her all the time. I was small but quick. I could duck and run away from flying slippers and wide and powerful sweeps of the salu or Samoan broom most of the time. I remember a particular day when a very heavy trunk arrived from the U.S. A couple of men put the trunk in the middle of the living room, which was also a place where my grandfather met with the other chiefs. The room was kept very clean and without obstructions. So when Lekka came in and saw the trunk in the middle of the room, she snorted, grabbed the trunk handle on the side with one hand, hoisted it up onto her back and walked out with it. It took two Palangi men to place that trunk in the middle of the room, and one 14-year-old Samoan girl picked it up by herself and hauled it out with one arm. After that, I stopped teasing her, because I knew I was too little to do anything against her. Most Polynesian young girls are between six foot and six foot five. I tell people all the time that five foot ten, I'm a small Polynesian of Samoan and Tongan descent, but not all Polynesian tribes are big. Some are very small. I think sometimes that's where the Menhune came from. I think the bigger Polynesians like Samoans, Tahitians, Tongans, those tribes closer to the origin of our continent, probably went to conquer the other islands and saw smaller versions of themselves and thought, could these be magical? I used to tease some relatives that were little about being part Menahune. At this point, you may say, and what does the Menahune have to do with the size of the rest of Polynesia? What do they have to do with war? The Menahune are compared to fairies, leprechauns, or elves in other societies. Stories say they stand between two and three foot tall and were master stonemasons and engineers. I think the height was probably more like four foot four to four foot six, more in line with East Asian pygmy tribes from New Guinea called Terrans. But the timeline is off. The Terrans left China about the 1800s, and the Menahune were prominent in Polynesia in the 13th century, which was about 12 to 1300 AD. Some say the Menahune came from the Moriori tribe out of New Zealand, but historic height of these people were about five foot six. The Menahune were playful and mischievous, had distended bellies. They were hairy and muscular with bushy eyebrows over their large eyes, large probably because they worked in the night away from the heat, and they lived in dense forest, jungle areas, and in caves. They were good at shooting arrows, building canoes, foot races, hand wrestling, cliff diving, and were musical, specializing in the shark skin drum. They also had a special interest in astronomy, which is logical since the last episode explains how we navigated from place to place, and the Menahune were no exception to migration on the ocean and no stranger to the Polynesian religion of mana. It is said that the Menahune inherited the islands after they won their war against the Nawau, also descended from the gods, the god Kani in particular. The Nawau were full-sized wild men, which proves that even though the Menahune were small, they were a fierce and warring people. Within the Menahune tribe, there were different stations in life. The Ali'is, 
were the leaders, sacred for the same reasons that the other tribes descended from gods. The kahunas, which were the intermediaries between the alis and the community, and they were the enforcer of the kapu system, the laws. The hana, which were the communities that included the engineers and masons, and then there were the kokua, the warriors. The Menahune were known in Hawaii, New Zealand, Rapa Nui or Easter Island, New Guinea, Tahiti, and Fiji. But the rest of the islands tell of the Menahune as the spirit of dreams and not a tribe. In the islands of Hawaii, however, there is proof that this mythical race did exist. When other Polynesians arrived, they reportedly found dams, fish ponds, and roads already built in Hawaii. Many tribes in Hawaii will tell you when looking at very intricate structures that those were not built by the Tahitians when they arrived. Some structures include the Menahuni Ditch, which was constructed from a quarry seven miles away. This ditch or aqueduct was built as a waterway to channel irrigation water to the taro patches in lower Waimea Valley in Kauai. The waterway was an engineering feat that has puzzled archaeologists for years. There are 120 neatly cut and smooth blocks of basalt or lava stones building the aqueduct and the top of the wall was used as a pathway. Basalt is a very hard material. Where diamonds are a 10, basalt is an 8. The Egyptians used copper tools, they say, to build the massive stone pyramids. Today, we use diamond wheels to cut through rock. The assumption is that the Menahune used flat sand saws made with flat pieces of wood and sand, which would have taken forever. The stonework predates the 14th century when the Tahitians migrated to Hawaii. Now some say that it was built by the Marquesas, but others say it was built before the 13th century, which was before the Marquesas came. And as far as technology is concerned, islanders are not known for using technology like the flat sand saw. The Alicoco fish pond, it is said, was built overnight almost a thousand years ago. This fish pond is 900 feet long and five feet wide. The stone came from a village over 25 miles away. Legend states that the walls of the pond were built all in one night by a group of Menahune who were commissioned by the king of the Polynesians, Anali'i, to build the pond. The Menahune lined up on the hillside and formed a human chain, passing the stones one by one down the hillside until they were in place. Their fingers and hands were so worn from the work that they were dripping with blood. This is the literal translation of Alikoko. Ali meaning dripping and koko meaning blood. Fish ponds like these were originally built for the Ali'is to eat from. It was kapu against the law for anyone else to partake. Necker Island in the northwestern part of Hawaii is Hawaii's version of Stonehenge, built by the Menahune. It's considered a ceremonial and religious site with 52 archaeological sites and 33 ceremonial hiwas. It is considered a temple from which the ancients could collaborate time and space through religious ceremonies of mana, performed during solar events. 
I know it's here that most people would roll their eyes, but the 1943 legend of the Philadelphia experiment is still out there. So some people and scientists do still believe in time travel and manipulation. Doctor Who, Star Trek, and Back to the Future franchises still have a huge following and science does support time bending by Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity, that time is an illusion that moves relative to an observer. Other scientific theories about time travel have to do with wormholes, black holes, white holes, and string theory. There's the infinite cylinder theory that suggests taking matter, rolling it into a very long and dense cylinder like a black hole that breaks down into very small black holes within it, like spaghetti noodles. That is supposed to change time. There's the time donut suggested to curve space and time, a donut shaped vacuum surrounded by a sphere of normal matter. Modern physics, still thinking about time. The small Menahune just thought about it sooner, trying to find the one supreme, Atua Tangaloa, surfing on the waves of the universe. Necker Island was known by indigenous people as Moku Manamana. It was used as a huge hiwa. In the tradition of the people, Wakea, the Sky Father, built a hiwa with his hands for his ancestors when asking for their aid. All the ritual sites in Moku Manamana are built on its five hills, which naturally mimic Wakea's cupped hands. And the name of the island means Island Temple of Fingers. By building the hiwas on Moku Manamana, the Ali'is directly connected themselves with multiple forms of ritual power. All these hiwas and archaeological sites built by the small Menahune, huge monuments in heavy stone so large and cut so precise that it causes the scientific community to wonder with awe at their engineering skills and the strength of these very small people, giants in Polynesia. Perhaps that is what the Moai in Rapa Nui or Easter Island was for, to either beg the Menahune to come back and fix a broken civilization, perhaps to leave a sign that the giant work of the small Menahune had been there, or as a gateway to those Menahune who had been taken captive by the blackbirders out of South America and waiting for their return. At night, when it is said the Menahune would work, as you witness these massive stone sites, you can hear the conch shells blow. You can see the mist rise from the torches of the Anava war clubs. You can hear the faraway beat of the Auta drumsticks against the large Longo, the Tatasi, and the Lali drums, signifying that the Menahune, though small and mainly unseen, left a giant impact on our culture. And because the Menahune were so industrious, so strong, and so resilient, it causes the rest of the Polynesian communities to have hope as the drums for our future still beat on. Keep listening for more episodes of The War Drums of Makua, The Season of Battle. Brought to you by SouthPackHealth.com. The wisdom of the past is the health of the future. SavageMusicStudios.com and Life Extend Unlimited. The taste you know, the results you prefer.